We um, want to welcome you to the gathering today. If you're visiting with us, and and be sure to go grab one of those um, uh, one of those visitor cards. We'd love to get a little more information about you, so we can get to know you and your family, know how that we can love on you and serve on you. And we've got a gift for you as well. Um, and then also, we've got a little note sheet. If you don't have them, uh, if you want to follow along on some notes, jot down some scriptures this morning. I'm going to be hard to turn to all of, all of the passages of Scripture, so you might want to jot them down. So if you still need a note sheet, just wave your hand in the air, and uh, somebody will get it for you. You thought I was going to say, like, you just don't care, but I've probably said that before. Okay, so there are a couple people that need some note sheets. And um, Okay, so just to kind of recap really quickly, last week we're in this series called um, Big Things Come in Small Packages, and... Um, I've thought through this a lot, and there, it really is very, very true. Like, good big things come in small packages. Uh, bad big things, like stomach bugs, come in very small packages and, and can do very big things. Um, so we talked last week, um, the first week was in big. And Paul painted this picture for us about how, how big that our God is and how he has already won. And how he already has victory. And how you're a part, if you are his child, and you have placed your faith in Jesus, that you're part of that victory. And we looked, at, we looked in Revelation, and we looked at, at a, a picture, this vision of the end of times, and how God is, is victorious, and that we're a part of that. And we also, we talked a lot about different big wins that our church is experiencing in this very small place called Albemarle. And some of us have been here forever. Raise your hand if you've been here your whole entire life in Albemarle. You notice how slow the hands went up? And this is, this was, this is your face when I said that. It, was, it wasn't, yeah, Albemarle, woo! God has done some giant things in two years with our small, new, young church in a small place. And we, we looked at the statistics of, of um, across the world and the, and the countries that are, that are downloading sermons and that are using our resources and that, are, and that are giving here and that are being touched by what we're pouring out and the lives that have been changed. He's doing something really, really big here in a small place. And, um, man, I'm, we're grateful for that. And we're grateful to be a part of it. And this morning we want to talk about dreaming Big. And um, I, uh, gosh, I don't guess there's time to, uh, I meant to have a website up here to give you a little bit of perspective. And you can go look at it later. Um, it is census.gov slash pop clock. Okay. And it's going to be really cool to show you because it, it kind of blew my mind and it probably takes too long to pull that up and put it on the screen. But it is this rolling count of American population, and it also has a, a global population count, and we, uh, gosh, we gain, it, it factors in uh, births and, and the death rate, and we gain a new person in, in the United States about every eight seconds, and, but the really amazing thing is, you know, we're, we're over seven billion people in the world, and the clock for the world one is, is just, you can't count as fast. It's just boom, boom, one, two, three, four. New people constantly and in, in, the, in our world. So gain a little perspective, man. Go look at that thing and see, see that you are one of seven point, almost two billion people. You are, I don't mean this offensively, but you're a small package, okay, in a very, very big world. Look at somebody beside of you and say, I'm small. Some of you cheated and said, you're small. Just say it. Say, I'm small. Like we could, if we were like this weird cult, we could say things like, I am small, but God is big. And we can make these chants and things like that. Because that's going to be kind of the, the, the heart of the morning is, yes, we're small. We're, we're a tiny a tiny drop in a very, very large bucket when you want to get the grand scale of this thing. But I want to give you permission to overcome that this morning. Um, and I want to I give you a real great example of how something 
big can come out of somebody so real, so small. Um, my daughter's a great example of this in many ways. This way, um, it's sometimes funny things, funny big things come in small packages. And so she um, is at daycare five days a week and love it. And she's learning a lot. She learns a lot about Jesus and and um, it's a fantastic place. And for whatever reason, I guess they were talking about careers and asking the kids, you know, what, what's your mom do? What's your dad do? And, and of course, my wife teaches, and, and um, she's fantastic at it, and she's, she uh, tells them, well, my mommy's a teacher. And then so the next question, obviously, is what does your dad do? And so um, I'm going to give you a video in just a second of what, what her response was. But here's, here, I want to give you another uh, layer to this. I, there are a lot, I, I work for the community college, and there's a lot of bosses there. And it gets confusing on how really the structure works, but all I know is that I listen to people that are more important than me, and I just do what they ask. And so I get a call from one of the VPs, and she says, uh, can you come down to my office? I need you to look at something. So I'm like, okay, I'll be right there. And she hands me her phone, and she shows me this. Daddy pink like this. And she says, I pulled it. All right, just play that one more time, and I'll give you some perspective. Apparently, as a career, um, I pass gas. <laughs> I didn't know that. Well, I just well then I'll be the best at that job. Yes. <laughs> Apparently, for a couple of weeks, um, my daughter just you know wanted to tell everybody that her daddy poots, and when he does poot, he says I pooted. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so my this boss's daughter works there. And she films this, sends it to her mom, and I get this, this really funny thing and laugh really hard at work. And uh, that's a big message, right? Because I try to say, hey, babe, you know, you could say daddy works on computers or, or, um, or daddy's a preacher or something like that. But she says, daddy poops all the time. And so that's just, uh, that's fun. It's probably a lot more than you wanted to know about me. You know, Paul says a lot. I'm probably being way too honest. I just broke that, right? Big things, small packages. Um, but on a serious note this morning, I want to give you a, I want to give you a couple names as we go out as we go out through the sermon. One is a name that you probably you probably let's see I would I would say that 100% of you probably have experienced what this man has accomplished, and probably 100% of you are wearing what this man accomplished. And his name, and you'll recognize it, is Whitcomb L. Judson. You know this guy. You love this guy, right? You have no clue. You've never heard this name in your life. Let me tell you how big Whitcomb L. Judson is and what he did for us in 1893. He said, Pants, there's got to be a better way. And he created the zipper. And we all thank him, right? He is a very small man. We don't know his name. That was well over a century ago, and he created something that everybody has today. And you probably just all made sure that yours was zipped up while I said that, right? Everybody is experiencing the impact of what one small man in one small place, who you don't even know his name, did. Everybody, for a century later, and I'm pretty sure that we'll be using zippers in another century. Because they work great, right? I'm going to give you a couple more examples of like that as we go along of people that did big things. But they were small. They were one person. And that you've never heard of them. And we want to frame this whole morning by this passage of scripture. Because this is not, this is not like a motivational dream big, do big thing. This is a believe in a very big God and have a very big Savior, dream big, do big things. And so I want, we're going to hang on Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 this morning, specifically verse 20, but we've got those. If, if you don't have a Bible with you and you want to look up on the screen, uh, we're going to go and pull those up. And if you will um, allow me to read them, and you can follow along. For this reason, and this is Ephesians, again, is Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its names. I pray 
that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Before we go any farther, man, we're celebrating Christmas because that. Because his love for you is immeasurable and he proved it by putting on flesh and coming down to this earth as a child, as a cold little baby in a stable because he wanted to come and redeem you because he loves you that much. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, and here, here, here's, the, here's the biggie right now. This is what we want to hinge on. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. That word immeasurably, some, some translations, if you're reading along, might, you might have seen far more abundantly. Anybody see that in your Bibles as you read along? Far more abundantly. This is a really cool word, and that's one word. And um, sometimes, sometimes pastors nerd out and go look in the, the Greek that, or the Hebrew that the Bible is written in. And so I had a nerd out moment and, and I just went and searched in and dug into that word more. And forgive me if I pronounce this wrong, but the Greek word is, are you ready? Huperek parisu. It's one word. Thank you. I want to unpack that word and I want to unpack this verse. Verse 20 again, he's able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. It's the only time Paul uses this word in the New Testament. He uses the word far more abundant one time, so essentially twice. And uh, here's what it means. He uses the word abundant a lot. And abundant means to have above and beyond, right? An excess, more of it. It's, it's pouring into a cup that is too small for the amount of liquid you got, right? I mean, it, it's, it's more than. And then Paul throws this word on the front of it to change it. And he says, and that word is essentially super. So it's like taking a big word of abundance and turning it into super abundance, like superhuman. It's the, that word Hooper, Hooper. It's super abundance. It's not just. It's not just that God does more than we can ask or think. It's that God does super abundantly more than you can possibly wrap your brain around. And that encourages me, because I can't wrap my brain around a lot, but I know that my God is so big that He can do so. Much. So if we put this in like just standards that we can understand, an abundance, abundance in like say you're, you're going to be going to the gym next month because you're going to do what Paul said and feel bad and get a gym membership and you're going to start bench pressing because that's just what you do if you go to the gym you want to look strong. And so like a really good bench, can anybody in here bench press 300 pounds? Like right now? Like literally. Come on down! It's... it's uh, so, like, nobody in here could do that much. Joe probably could, because Joe is, is stout right now. Joe is a very strong fella. And uh, so, like, 300 pounds, we would, all, we would all stand around and be like, wow. Like, and uh, I was looking at some, uh, like, world records and trying to really find out the, the greatest bench press world record. And I think it's around, like, 1,000, but they look kind of like they cheat, and it's, it's weird. I'm not buying it. But if, if we stood up here this morning and we put 500 pounds on a bar and, and one of you benched it, we would say, man, that is an abundance of weight. That's not just Phil who just did 135. That's probably about right. Don't laugh. What? I'm, I'm being honest. Yeah, I'm being honest. I'll tell you the truth. But if we put, it, we put 500 pounds up here, you would say, wow. That is an abundance of weight. And then 
if a Greyhound bus runs in to the fire hydrant over there and somebody goes out there and gets underneath it and pushes a Greyhound bus off of a fire hydrant filled with a football team that just left Golden Corral, you would say, that is super abundant, right? You might not use those words. You might would just kind of stand there and be like, wow. But do you see, it's, it's this almost like, it's almost this make-believe difference in what we can think and what we can wrap our brain around. You can think of really big things, right? This passage says God can do super abundantly more than the, the coolest, most amazing thing you can ever think of. Or, look in the text, the coolest, most amazing, biggest thing you could ever ask for. That's the heart of this this morning. God isn't just capable of doing big things and catching you off your guard. He's able, he's able to do abundantly more than you could ever imagine. It means that we're capable of asking him for a glass of water and he is able to give you Niagara Falls. That's the best way I could think to, to really um, frame that. God, can I have a glass of water? Here's a waterfall. That's, how, that's what God's capable of. And so um, looking at that passage and then also in a minute looking at um, a very big and epic dream and story of Joseph from the Old Testament, I want to give you permission this morning to do three things. And if you got your note sheet, that's where this is going to come in handy. And, and uh, I'll tell you the big idea in a little bit that's at the top of your notes. But you got three things right here that, I'm, that I think this gives us permission to do as we are... We are looking to a big God this morning and this month. And the first one is dream big. Obviously, that's the name of the type. The week is dream big. You want to fill dream, dream big into the blank there. We want to give you permission to dream big. Don't let small things define big dreams. Don't let small things define big dreams. And don't let being one small individual in a very small town don't let that define your dreams. We want to. I want you to think just a moment. Um, and you know, and I'm not technically talking. Lay your head down on the pillow. Have a big dream, dream. But you might. And he did it a lot. And I think he still does it. Um, but I'm talking really specifically this morning. Is you having a dream in your heart to go do X, Y, Z, or to go be X, Y, Z? That kind of dream. Let's think about the process of what God does with us. Those of us that are, that are his children, that have been saved by the blood of Christ. What's the process? The Bible says that before this takes place, that you are dead in sin. And Romans 6, 8 through 11 tells us that when he grabs hold of you, that he makes you alive. In Christ, So he takes you, you're literally a corpse walking the earth, and he takes you and he makes you new. And he rebirths you. He creates you brand new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, and man, we throw that verse out there a lot because you need to remember that. That he makes you new when you become a child of God. Ezekiel 36.26, he gives us a new heart. The reference is Ezekiel 36, 26. He gives us a new heart. And let's keep following that trail. All right? Jeremiah 24, 7 says that he would give us a heart to know him. He would give us a heart to know him. And then Ephesians 2, 10 says, We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Psalm 37.4 says, when we delight in him, he gives us the desires of our heart. So can I just refresh what we did, like where we just walked through right there? Before Jesus saved your soul, you are a dead man or a woman. He, gave, he created you. He gave you new life. He breathed life into you and brought you back to life. He created you something brand new. He gave you a new heart in the process. He put big things in your heart when he created it new. 
to go and to glorify him and to do good works. So if you got big dreams on your heart, I can only guess that who put them there. I can just, all I know is to do is connect the dots and say that God put those big dreams in your heart. And I want to give you permission this morning to dream big because if you are God's child and he's put a big dream in your freshly created heart, and Jeremiah 29, 11, it's, the ver- it's one of those verses that everybody knows and everybody writes on t-shirts and things. And, and Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13 tells us that he has big plans for little old you. And some of you just need to be reminded of that this morning. That he's got big plans for you. You're not just some guy in Albemarle. If, if you are a child of God, he's got big plans for you here. And listen, I, you know, I don't want to be, I mean, you got to address, I've got to address one thing, and if, if you're not a child of God, if you, um, if Jesus is not your Savior and is not your Lord, and you have never put your faith in Christ, like, I can't make these promises for you, and I know that sounds like a kind of a mean thing to say, but that's just, that's just the message of, uh, of our, of our God, of this Bible, is that I can't put these promises onto you, and we're going to read a lot more promises, but I can't, I can't tell you that, well, he's put big dreams in your heart, and, and he's, he's created you a new heart, but because he hasn't yet. But our Father, our Father, those of us in this room that are, that are Christian this morning, our Father is a very big God, and we have experienced him, and we have experienced the hope and the peace that comes with him. And I'm just telling you, this morning would be the time, the moment of your, ni- of your life, to begin new and let him become your father and turn your life over to Christ this morning. That's what we celebrate Christmas is because he came to do that work in us. So look, for these promises to fall on you and to be given to you, Jesus has got to be your savior. So maybe you need to chew on that this morning. Is he your savior? But all these promises about our heart and the permission to dream big, the question that, that a lot of you probably are asking this morning, a lot of you are probably asking this question. How do I know it's something I dreamed up or if it's something that's a dream that God placed in me? Anybody already asked that? We'll just be honest. I already thought that because that's what I was thinking the whole time. All right, so how do I know if it's God's big dream in me or if it's something I dreamed up? I wish that I could kind of give you a formula for this, but I would just be like lying, and I would be telling you something that the Bible doesn't tell you, and, and I would just be overstepping my bounds. But if, if, if I was sort of going to give you some kind of direction on how you answer that question, what I would probably say this. Will it bring honor and glory to God? Will it bring honor and glory to God's name? Think of the big thing, the big dream that if you knew nothing would stop you, that you would say, I would go do this. I would accomplish this. I want to do this. I want to be this. Will it bring glory and honor to God's name? Will it make him famous or will it make you famous? Will it make God's kingdom richer or will it make your kingdom richer? It might do both. So maybe those are just a few starter questions to ask. But this morning, I kind of want you, I kind of want your mind just spinning around on doing the big dream that's in my heart. I want to give you permission to go for it. 1 Corinthians 6.20, great verse. It says, you were bought at a price, and that price was Jesus' blood. It was his life. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor him with your dreams. So, have you started processing yet some of the dreams that are in your heart? Have you thought them? Have you thought? Have you given, have you pulled out of your heart and put it at the forefront of your mind yet? Oh, man, this makes me think about that. Has anybody, would you be honest enough to say, that, um, man, God put a big dream in my heart 20 years ago and I never did it because I was afraid. Would anybody just be honest enough to say that? 
10 years ago, last year, and he put a big dream in my heart, and I was afraid, and I didn't do it. I didn't go for it. I didn't go for it. We want to give you permission to go for it. So if that formula is questions like, will it honor God? I would think that there's another part of this formula. And it is, don't dream big without community. And you hear us preach community all the time at the gathering. Community groups are the heart of what we do. We, we will tell you that today is just a Sunday, and the other six days of the week are the most important part. And in those other six days of the week come our community groups. And they're, they're in homes, and, and it is going to someone's home and looking at Scripture and praying together and growing together as a family and encouraging and uniting with each other. That's how you know. I'm going to go on a limb and just say that's how you're going to know that your dream is big from God. It's because you're going to be with a family encouraging you, praying with you about it. And their hearts are going to be united to yours, and you're not going to be dreaming by yourself. You're not going to dream by yourself. Nobody wants to dream by themselves, because we get overwhelmed with those dreams when we're by ourselves. So can I just plug community even more? Can I just keep plugging that to you, church? That it's not just enough to be here on Sundays, but we want you to be with like-minded believers. So we want to give you permission to dream big because your heavenly father is capable of doing super abundantly more than you could ever ask or imagine. So we think about dreams. First character that comes to mind in the Bible is likely for you. I already said earlier. It's Joseph, right? So Joseph had a big dream. We won't read the whole. We're not going to read um, uh, all these chapters about Joseph. But um, it is you'll find the beginning of Joseph's kind of little tale in uh, Genesis 37. You can jot that down, Genesis 37 through 45. This would be a great thing to go look over later. But uh, Joseph was one of uh, 12 sons, and he was his father, Jacob's favorite son. He was, um, he was clearly his favorite. His brothers were jealous of him, and his dad gave him this spiffy, like, rainbow-colored robe, and um, he, he was just his favorite, and he had this dream, this literal dream, like go to sleep and get a dream dream, but it was from the Lord, and he had this dream, and I'll just kind of sum up real quick how this thing went, because he went and told his family this dream, and in essence, it was Joseph as ruling over his family, his brothers, not just his brothers, but his mother and father, and so Obviously, they weren't like real keen on the dream, right? They didn't like it. His brothers were jealous of him because he had two dreams about this. And they would say things like, well, who are you to come and say that you're going to be higher than me? Or you're going to rule over me? What, do you want me to bow down to you? And so Joseph was just like, well, this is just the dream that God put in my mind. I don't know. I don't know what it means yet. And so they were so jealous that they go on to do a few uh, things to him that set him up to fulfill this dream. And we're going to look at that in a second. We're going to look at that um, in just a second. God gave him permission to dream big because he put that big dream in him. What dream has God put in you this morning? I want you to chew on that. What has he put in you to go and do that is massive? We want to give you permission to do it. So the first one was to dream big. The second one is... Fail hard. You have permission to fail hard. And we put that word fail in quotations for a reason. Let's fail hard. You have permission to dream big, permission to fail hard. But if you're dreaming big for God's glory, I don't think you're ever going to fail. I just don't think that it's possible. Because God doesn't lose. My God does not lose, and he is sovereign and in control of all things. And so if he has set something inside of you, and he's doing a big work through you in little old Albemarle, or this country, or this world, you are not going to fail. 
because my God does not lose. Now, you might feel like you're failing. And like, you could probably all attest to this, right? You've, how many of you have ever just felt like a failure? How many of us have ever just felt like it? We felt like we failed. You might feel like you have failed, but if he's put a big dream, a big something inside of you to go be or do, it might feel like it. It might just feel like you're going to fail. And that's a feeling I just need you to, I need to give you, I think God wants to give you permission this morning to feel that. Just permission to feel like this thing is just, this was a dream and now it's going down the drain. It's just down, you know, I want out, I don't know what to keep doing, I don't know if to keep fighting. You got permission to feel that. The question we got to ask is, what do you do when it feels like that? Well, you continue to believe in God, the one who began a good work in you and will see it through. Ask everybody in the Bible if they always felt like they were victorious at every given moment. Ask everybody that walked with Jesus. Did you ever feel, you never felt like you had failed, right? Are you in the middle of failure? Just ask any of them. And they would all be the first ones to tell you, I felt like I'd failed miserably. I felt like the whole thing was over. Ask them what, what they felt like when Jesus was crucified. They didn't even get it at the point. They didn't get it right then. They thought, oh man, this thing's over. This didn't work out. They didn't see that big picture. Ask anybody in Scripture. Ask Joseph in Scripture. Man, what's it feel like when you, when you feel like you're failing? John 16, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible that encourages me all the time. Jesus says, take heart, because you're going to have trouble in this world. You will have trouble, but I've overcome it. Man, that's big. Is that big to you? Jesus says so much right there. He says, you will have trouble. And everybody said, yeah, amen. But he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. So the valley for Joseph got really deep and wide, and he had to crawl. And let's look back at his story. So he had this big dream of, of himself in some way going to be ruling over his brothers and his mother and his father and his whole family. And they don't like it, and they're jealous of him. And so here's what they do. They come up with a plan to get rid of their brother because they don't want to be uh, bowing down to him. They already didn't like him. So they throw him in a pit, and then they come up with this plan to sell him into slavery. They take his pretty little jacket, and they put some blood on it, and they say, oh, daddy, oh, daddy, some wild beast has killed our brother, and he's dead. And really, they had sold him off into slavery. And so Joseph, who God had just given this big dream of mighty things are going to happen through you. Right now, he's, he's uh, being carried into to slavery, and he ends up... Um, down in Egypt and he is working as a slave and he works his way up into a, a high position because God had favor on him and the, the story kind of starts to go like this and now it starts to come back up and he's in a great spot and he's got a lot of favor and he's, he's got power and he's doing big things and then he gets accused of rape and then things just go way down and because his boss's wife says, this man came after me like this, when really he had just, he had fled from the scene because he didn't want that, and he did not want uh, to have intimacy with his boss's wife. He wanted to stay pure and do the right thing, and so she accuses him that, and so then he just plummets back down into prison, literal prison. He's thrown into jail, and at that moment, I'm just going to go on a limb and say Joseph felt like things had failed. Is that a fair assessment? Joseph had to feel like things had failed. He had a big dream, and now he's in prison, not even in his own land. 
Go back to Ephesians. What's it say? He's able to do far more abundantly than anything you think or anything you ask him to do. Maybe he just changes, maybe he finishes this thing out. Maybe when you feel like you're failing, he's just changing the course of it to something that you didn't expect. Or he's putting more variables inside of this thing than you, you weren't counting on. Or you asked the wrong thing and so he's writing that path. Or he needs to continue breaking you so that you can fulfill that dream. Maybe he needs those things in your life. But I want to tell you this. You got permission to feel like you felt hard, but you do not have permission to fail because my God is bigger than that. This really cool passage is Psalm 115.3. should jot that down. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in heaven and he does as he pleases. How about that? Our God is in heaven and he does what he wants. And what he wants is to do big things through you. And if that's what he wants, then he's going to do it, regardless of if you feel like it's over. But I can promise you this one thing. If you give up, you'll miss what God is doing. And um, we've, got a, we've got a brother here at our church. His name's Michael, and played violin for us the other week, and he's fantastic at that, and he's got lots of gifts and abilities, and he's a wonderful, wonderful man, and he's... he's um, Started starting a, a prayer team before service at 9.30 that God might want you to come and be a part of, and that might be a big thing for you to come and be a part of and pray for services before they happen. But um, Michael's going to come and share a little bit about this, because this is a man that has dreamed big and also knows what it feels like to hurt really bad in the middle of that dream and to hit low points. And we'll come share some of that story. We... Um, Randy shared some last week, and we wanted to we want to introduce you to more of our people and show you big wins. And it's a big win to have guys, to have men like Randy and Michael here with us. It's just a big win to see God bring these men into the gathering and to do great things. And share some story. All right. <laughs> to help explain a little bit of what. I want to share. Uh, I want you to turn to Romans 8:28. Go ahead and start finding that. And while you do, I want to ask you a big question. How many here feel like this last week was a really bad week? Raise your hands real quick. You feel you had a bad week? Okay, hands down. How many here feel you had feel you had a really good week last week? How many feel you had a good week? Come on. Okay. So we got some to feel you had a bad week, some feel we had a good week. I want you to understand something. Sometimes, and I want to use that to help explain where I've been this last year. Sometimes some of the bad things that might have happened to you may have been the best thing to ever happen to you. Because through that seemingly bad thing, you may have learned something that will change you help you to grow for the rest of your life. And when I heard a preacher say that years ago, it just, it just hit me that we need to quit evaluating everything so much negative and positive. It's that it's just walk with God, and if something seems to be down in the valley, okay, God, I'm meeting with you. What shall we do? And we can overcome that and get back up onto the mountaintop. So... Things do seem to be valleys, and some things do seem to be mountains. But when we walk with God, it doesn't really matter how we judge it. Because we walk with God and we trust God that something better or bigger is coming down the road. Um, Romans 8:28. I want someone to stand a big booming voice and read 28 to 31. Will someone do that for me? Stand and read it for me. Here we go over here. Good. Thank you. 
So all things work for the good of those called according to his purpose. And who is that? Who are those? Us. Every one of us. Every creature that God has created, that scripture is for you. I can look back and say this last year was a terrible year. And in many ways to judge it, it could well be said that it was. My background leading up to this past year was that uh, as a youth in the United Methodist Church, I gave my heart to the Lord. I was a teenager. Went to college and got so involved in the times at hand. That was 1969. It was uh, during the Vietnam War. It was, you know, make love, peace, cool, just be, you know, just be cool and hang out. And uh, got involved in some drugs. For the first six months, I don't really hardly remember college. I let my hair grow, and I had band, I had works. I looked. I thought I looked really cool. But I had a calling in my life, and something began to change, and I began to walk back and understand and listen to God. And after college, I, I went to college for uh, allied health and radiology health, and ended up being an X-ray technologist. Went back to school later on, became a nuclear medicine technologist. It sounds fancy, but... So I, there, I went back to work in Ohio, ended up in Appalachian Mountains for two years, did missionary work through the United Methodist Church, uh, worked with abused and neglected mountain children. From there, I went back to Ohio, and I began to listen to Oral Roberts' program in the mornings before I went to church. I actually was pastoring a small little church at that time. And I listened to his program. They talked about the City of Faith Medical Research Center that was being opened. And I just felt called. And I sent a letter out there. I'm an x-ray tech. What would be involved in me working there? I said, I'm working through. I don't know if this is what God wants. Well, I got a letter back. Oh, no, I got a phone call. Please come out for an interview. I don't have the money to go out there for an interview, I thought. It just so happened that someone at church says they were going to Tulsa. So I hitched a ride to Tulsa. They dropped me off, and I was there for two days. They picked me up, and we went back to Ohio. I was hired on the spot. After five, six months, I became the floor manager. Then I became the supervisor. I was over all the radiology department, over cath lab, everything. I began to be in more and more meetings with Oral himself. And I'll be honest, the first time I met him, shook his hand. It's a little bit of a fear thing when you meet someone like him with the background that he's got. And I turned around, and I had to go somewhere else, and I kind of looked at my hand. Well, it's not glowing. <laughs> but sometimes we feel that way when we meet someone. We think, well, boy, there's just something special about them. Well, God says there's something special about you. And through the years, I began to realize, gee, God really is saying that I'm special too, because we all are. And from there, I ended up in Indonesia, taught in an Indonesian seminary, I was I started an x-ray school in Central Java at a hospital to train some x-ray techs, at least the basics. I traveled to multiple different uh, villages looking at clinics and inspecting clinics for health and for equipment, for radiology equipment. Uh, ended up back in the United States. Ended up then working as a travel nuclear medicine technologist for about 12 or 13 years. And that's where things began to kind of change. I was traveling so much, and Kay was able to travel with me. Well, actually, before I became a travel nuclear medicine tech after I left the City of Faith, that's when it just seemed like my whole world fell apart. I ended up in a terrible divorce. And you think that's something that can never happen, but without so much strength and prayer and communication and marriage, things can't happen. So pray. Pray with your partner. Build that relationship, because it's wonderful. Then along came Kay, and I met Kay, and we got married. I started doing the travel work. She traveled with me back and forth all over the country for me doing temporary medical contracts in nuclear medicine. And after about six years, and it was very lucrative, it was very good pay, you know, that attracted me. Oh, it's really, really good money. Economy, economy began to decline. The 
contracts got harder to get. So Kay quit going with me and she took a full-time job to help us meet ends when I was home and in between contracts, because it got to be longer and longer between contracts. We were almost destitute. Every time I'd end a contract, I might be home three months. Well, that began to strain our relationship. When you're separated like that, that's not good. So we began to pray. I said, okay, next time I get a contract where I feel like I really feel at peace, that that could be a home for us, we might have to consider that. So within, the, within a day, I got a phone call about a contract here at this hospital at Stanley in Albemarle. I couldn't even spell it. <laughs> I get on the phone still with people. It's fun. I, I think it is. You know, they say, well, what's your address? I say, Albemarle. Uh, how do you spell that? <laughs> and you have to spell it. Then you respell it. And so I come here to Stanley, and I'm working as a travel nuclear medicine tech. I'm there one week. I'm going like, God, this is the place for me. I had never met so many caring, precious people as I had when I came here. Everywhere I went, it just seemed like God opened my eyes to see that there was something here special. I talked to Kay about it. And it was a three-month contract. She came down for some periods of time when she could. And we prayed, and we felt this is where we're supposed to be. So that's a year, year and a half ago. No matter what we see, God knows. God is there in the midst of it. And I, I've been saying that so many times. God is in the midst. God is in the midst of this. Tests, trials may come, but that's okay because God brings us out of those things and we come out stronger. And I can say that because in this last year, right after I made the commitment, I began to have some problems with burning in my chest. Next thing I know, I end up over at Northeast Hospital having open heart surgery, a five vessel bypass. I'd had a stent in one corner, and all of a sudden, from one to five, I coded even on the table. But God brought me through. And I had to say, okay, God, you're in the midst of this. So it may have seemed like a bad thing. And it may have seemed like, to some people, they may say, well, that's a little thing. Well, it was a pretty big thing. And then I blew a disc in my back. Severe back pain. Had to have back surgery. They got in there and they found a spinal fluid leak. Thankfully, they were, he went in with using the Da Vinci computer or a microscope thing. He said otherwise he wouldn't have found it. It took me five months to get in the scene. God led me to him. We have a home in Ohio. We've been working and working to sell it. Four times it comes up to the signing of the papers to sell the house and the deals fell through every time. The last time because the FEMA... Flood insurance rates have changed suddenly. The realtors didn't even know it. So the fellow went to get his flood insurance to buy the house this next week to sign papers, found out that the flood insurance had increased from the $75 a month that was built into our payment to $420 a month. So the people walked away from the deal. But I said, God is in the midst thereof. That's still not done. It's now going into the hands of people to foreclose. But God is in the midst thereof. I know that I know that I'm supposed to be here in Albemarle. What seemed to be a little town, small things. I heard about a church at a small little coffee shop. That's what my wife heard about first. She went in to use the internet and met that runs across. Connie. Woo. Me and Nate met Connie. Kay was just really taken by her. It was a, a, a God connection. Next thing I know, I go and visit 
well, it, this was right after my heart surgery. My wife had already gone back to Ohio. Everything seemed to be okay. I was four weeks, three weeks post-op. She went back up to Ohio and went back to work. I suddenly started having trouble with memory loss, and it was a post-anesthesia uh, problem that often occurs, memory loss. I was going to go to church. I got down here. I couldn't find it. I drove around and around, but I knew where it was. I'd been in the coffee shop, but I lost memory at that moment. Couldn't even remember where I was going. I finally remember I was going to church. I pull up and I go in. And a precious brother was at the door. Come here. He had no idea who I was, but the biggest smile I've ever seen in my life was on his face. And he shook my hand, and I remember we gave a quick little hug, and I felt like I'd just gotten hugged by God. See, Nehemiah didn't know that God was going to do something through him. He said, well, won't you come and sit with us? I was just so confused and went and sat with them. And God did a good thing during the service. I felt back to where I felt I was okay. It happened two or three times more. But I want you to understand no matter what you do, you're a part of something much bigger here than you can ever realize. Little did he know that I was in the situation I was in. But he loved me at the door just with that handshake and a little hug. He stepped into a position, let God use him, and, and here I am today, healthy, hopefully with the memory loss all gone. But I love this brother. I love you. So God's good, isn't he? Amen. All right. Thank you, brother. I just wanted you to see. So, all in all, Thing after thing after thing that's happened this last year. I can stay here now, stand here now and say, God is with me. All things work for the good for those who love and serve the Lord. So let's serve him in a big place. This is much bigger than we are even realizing right now. And I thank God that I'm here. And I just simply say, God, use me. All those, what seemed to be big things happened to me when I was back, when I worked for Oral and met some ministry people and even gave a personal word. I, one time I gave a word of knowledge, wrote it down on a piece of paper one evening. It was about a child being born and the birthing process. It's so painful and, and difficult, but yet then there's the blessing of the child and, and the blessing of and new things growing. I wrote down a piece of paper, and someone that was with me at this prayer meeting says, Mike, that's for oral. I said, well, I'll never see him again probably for six months. He said, no, that's for oral. I said, okay. So I put it on my desk, and the next morning, the Spirit of God spoke to me, pick that piece of paper up and take it with you. So I went to work. I had wore a suit coat, and I made a Xerox copy of it, put the copy here, and put the original over here. I get a, in my earphone, I get a little code that there was, a certain person coming to the department and I had to take care of him. I was the supervisor. And the code name, I knew it was Oral. He was coming in for an x-ray. Or I go to the back door and meet him and escort him to the room and do his x-ray. While we're waiting on the radiologist to come in to talk to him about his x-rays, we strike up a conversation. I'm standing there talking to Oral Roberts. And I said, sir, I'm nervous, but I need to tell you about something that happened last night. So I told him that in a little meeting, there was what was a word of knowledge. He said, well, speak it out. Tell me what it was. I want to know. Oh, he was just excited. Well, sure. He said, tell me. What is it? He said, I'm here right now to hear that. I reached in my pocket, opened it up, and read it to him. And he looked at me very seriously. Young man, someone gave me those exact words as a word of knowledge last week out at Rima. 
about the birthing product. He said, exact words. He said, in fact, can I have that? Do you have a copy? So I reached in. I said, the other pocket, there's the original. And he just looked and says, wow, that's cool. So you never know where you're going to be. You never know who you're going to meet and who you might be sharing something with them that might make a difference in their life. So have a big effect on the big Albemarle and the big gathering now. Amen? Thank you. Man, I don't even need to say anything else, right? I'm going to, but get over it. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, that's two men that you want to meet, that you need to meet, that you need to know, and you need to hear more of their story because it goes a lot farther than that. Um, we want to give you permission here at the gathering to dream big with us. We want to give you permission to feel like it's failing hard but to fight through it. And we want to give you permission. Last one is to win regardless. I don't give you permission for that. That's just how God set it up. But you will win regardless because God wins. He has already won. Paul talked about that last week in Revelation 5. He has already won. Jesus has already had victory over Satan and sin and death. And if you've trusted in Christ for salvation and made him the Lord of your life, you have already won. You are more than a conqueror. So you will face trouble, but he has overcome it. You're going to win because he has won and you're in him. Man, Joseph's story wraps up like this. I'll go real quick. So he went from a, a high dream to a, to a low place, to a, a better place, to a worse place, to the second most powerful, important man in the entire world. Not in Egypt, but the entire world, because Egypt was it at that point. And so Joseph ended up as um, Pharaoh's right-hand man. Nobody had more uh, impact on this globe than Joseph, and he wasn't even Egyptian he was a transplant that God did big things through. And he gets up there, and a famine hits the land, a famine that God had told him about, God had prepared him for, a drastic famine that was going to wipe out just civilization as we know it. And he prepared Egypt. And guess who needs Egypt's provision but Joseph's family? And so they come not knowing that he is that man that's in charge while Pharaoh's off on his yacht. He is that man that's running this kingdom. And they come to him saying, all of our family's going to die. We need, we need help. And it was down at Joseph's feet that they had to bow down and beg for help. And God fulfilled that dream. Not in a way that he ever would have begun to imagine. You think that if you asked Joseph to go look back, did you think this was going to happen, Joseph, that you would be like the king of the world? He would not have told you that. He didn't know how that was going to pan out, but God is able to do super abundantly more than you can dream and imagine and ask for. And he showed up in Joseph. I can't do that story justice in a few seconds. You need to go back and read through all of that, that passage. But he won because God wins. We'll pray now. You, you head on and um, if you make sure you heard that, uh, Michael's daughter just had a, an accident, bad accident. We don't know what what um, that entails. So, can you just pray with me? Um, God, you are in control and you are big. And right now we ask for a big things that you would. We ask for the safety of Michael's daughter. 
our children. God, we ask that you would touch their bodies right now, that you would warm their bodies and that you would heal, heal their bodies, God, that you would protect them from serious harm or injury. And if it's already occurred, we, we pray now in the name of Jesus that you would that you would reverse it, that you would heal them, that you would touch them and take that away. We pray that you would show us this morning how big that you are and that you are bigger than some car accident and that you love the souls that were in it and that you have big plans for them and they don't end today. God, I pray that you would show his daughter and her family how much you love them. And I pray that you would that you would bring honor and glory to yourself by touching their bodies and giving them peace right now and working this all out for the good of those who love you. God bless uh, Michael and Kay right now. I don't know where they're headed. I don't know where she's at, but God, wrap her up, touch her. Give them safety as they travel that way. Protect them. Uh, in this weather. God, we pray that you would save souls through this process. We love you, Lord. Amen. Um, We'll get you some word on that. And we're just going to trust that God's going to take care of that situation. And, uh, no, I'm thankful to be a part of a church that can goes off script and that a man doesn't feel bad telling me to hush for a minute because he needs me to pray. And so this is a big place that God has created. And he's doing big things here. And uh, man, Michael read you that passage from Romans 8. He works all things out to the good of those who love him. Verse 31 says, if he's for us, who can be against us? And Philemon 1.6 says, he who began a good work and you will see it through. Dream big with us. Feel like you're failing hard, sure. But get over that and keep believing. Win regardless, because he's already won. And you can trust that. Big idea. It's up at the top of the page. Big idea is it's safe to dream big when your father dreams bigger. It's safe to dream big when your father dreams bigger. All right, only problem with that is this, and if you follow along, maybe you realize it. Is it safe to follow Jesus? No. It is not safe to really follow Jesus. It's just not. Jesus told us that. You're going to have trouble. Matthew 10, 28 says, don't be, but he says, don't be afraid of those who can just kill the body. Wait, Jesus, that means somebody's going to kill me? <laughs> Maybe. But don't be afraid of that, because they can't take your soul. Okay. Thank you. May I have another? Like, don't be afraid of that. But he wants you to know that, no, it's not safe to follow me. It's not a worldly safe. It's not safe by worldly standards, but it is safe for your soul. And we want to invite you into that. I want to invite you, if Jesus is not your Savior, into the safety of his arms and allow him to save your soul this morning and make these promises count for you and dream big with us at the gathering and, and let him do big through you in Albemarle and Stanley County and then send you out into the world to do big things. I want to give you permission for that. And we want you to dream big with us. It's not a worldly safe. Think like Kevlar Best safe. Like, you can shoot me in the heart if I've got a Kevlar vest on. It's going to hurt, but it's not going to go and destroy my heart. But where am I if I'm getting shot at? In some kind of battle. So, no, it's not safe to follow Jesus, but it's safe to follow Jesus. That makes no sense in the world, right? But it's not a worldly safe. But... It's safe for you to dream big in him because he can dream bigger and he put that dream in your heart. So I want to invite you to dream um, big this morning and we'll just want to take, take a little time and let you kind of pray some of that and flesh some of that out. Um, would anybody just say 
hey, this just kind of welling up inside of me this morning are these ideas of big things. Anybody? These, that, that God wants me to do something big. That God has a big dream, that he's placing a big dream in my heart. Or that God wants me to do this. Or I'm, I'm already down in the, like, crawling in the valley part, and he wants me to do something bigger. Or I've lost this, and he wants me to go do this. Or I, I already don't have this, but he wants me to lose even more to do something big to follow him. Like, it might not, it probably won't make any sense right now. But I want to I wanna just invite you to do it. To do big. No matter what it feels like you would lose. No matter what it feels like you would lose to follow that big dream, I want to invite you to do it because you cannot fail.